We were talking in the office this week about uh, a house in South Knoxville uh, that has all these lights on the house, like huge lights. Uh, Matt Bowers was, Maddie B was showing us pictures from his phone, like from his deck, it like lights up the whole South Knoxville, this guy's yard. And he has tons of lights and all this stuff, and he has a sign in his yard that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. But next to the sign is like a 20-foot tall Mickey Mouse dressed like Santa Claus. And we were like, you know, I'm not sure people are getting the message, like in all the lights and like hundreds of blow-up things in the yard. And I feel like that sometimes can be what Christmas is like. We have all this stuff going on and activities and gifts and food. And uh, sometimes we can miss the big picture of what God was doing on that first Christmas when Jesus was born. And so I don't want us to miss the point in all the details in story. When Jesus came in the flesh on that first advent, it, it changed the world. It was world transforming. It ushered in a new kingdom with a new king who would begin to undo all the effects of the fall. And so that's what Isaiah 11, as, uh, as Mr. St. John already told us, points forward to this king who will come. And so I want to look at the first nine verses of Isaiah chapter 11 tonight. This is Isaiah 11 beginning in verse 1. It says, There shall come forth, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall get grazed. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. Main point tonight is that the rule of Messiah will transform the world. That's what Isaiah is telling us. He's, he's pointing forward to a time that he doesn't know yet when he's going to come, but he's speaking on behalf of the Lord as a prophet. And he's telling us that when this Messiah, who God had promised would come to redeem his people, it's going to change the world. It's going to transform the world. How's that for worldview. The rule of Messiah will transform the world. And to understand the power of these verses and the hope it would have brought to God's people, you, you kind of have to read through Isaiah to this point. Advent 
is a season where the church tries to put ourselves in Israel's shoes and to sense uh, the anticipation of what they were longing for and this promise of a king to come. And we kind of remember, you know, what they would be crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we're going to sing these songs on Sunday about this longing for the Messiah to come. And in our text, in Isaiah, we find the nation of Judah kind of entering a time of national crisis. So as, as Isaiah is giving these prophecies about this future and this one who is to come, they're in a time of national crisis. King Uzziah has recently died. King Ahaz is on the throne. He is an ungodly and a corrupt king. So as Isaiah begins talking about this king to come, you just have to picture the people are looking at their current king and he is corrupt and ungodly. He refuses to turn to the Lord. In many ways, their nation is prosperous during this time because they have these treaties with some other nations. But they're using their prosperity to form idols and worship these false gods that the other nations worship. On top of that, the, the people are just spiraling down into wickedness. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says that their land is filled with silver and gold. So their, their GDP is doing great. They're, they're prospering. Yet it says they're bowing down to these idols they make with their own hands. In chapter 8, verse 19, we see that they've turned to these mediums and these necromancers and rather than turning to God. So they're these spiritual people, but they're turning to false prophets and they're turning to what we today would call in our worldview, new spirituality. They're turning to these people who claim to talk to the dead and looking to them for answers instead of to their God. In chapter 10, we see that they're proud and arrogant. Look at the last two verses of Isaiah chapter 10 before our text started. This will help you understand uh, when in verse 1 in our text, when he's talking about the stump of Jesse, what that means here. In verse 33 of chapter 10, it says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe. And Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. And Isaiah is giving us this vivid picture. He's saying that because of their pride, they become like these tall trees that are self-reliant. And God is going to come through swinging his axe. And he's going to knock down and cut down every tree until there's nothing but bare stumps. And Isaiah is saying, he's not going to do this to these other nations. He's going to do this to God's people. God's going to come through because of their wickedness and their idolatry and their evil. And he's going to humble them and cut them down. Pretty kind of a dark picture. If you read through the first, I've been reading through Isaiah in a reader's Bible. It doesn't have the chapters or verses. And just reading through the first six, seven chapters, it is dark. I mean, it's just this curse and this curse and, and God calling them to repent because of their wickedness. And then in chapter 10, God says, I'm going to come through and I'm going to chop all of you down until there's nothing, no life. Just You can just picture a bare forest where everything is just chopped down. It's kind of the picture we get to when we come to verse 1 in chapter 11. Look at verse 1 where Isaiah says, Then there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What in the world does 
does that mean? Basically, he's using that picture of the trees. And he's saying when that whole forest is cut down, there's going to be one stump in this forest. And from that one stump, this bud is going to begin to grow. And that bud is going to begin to form into a branch. And that branch is going to keep growing until it forms into a tree. And that tree is going to bear this fruit. And from that one stump is going to come this king who's going to bless the people of God once again. The stump of Jesse, if you study the Old Testament, Jesse was King David's father. And so what Isaiah is saying is he's saying that this new, this new king is going to come from the line of King David. God had made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7 that his throne would be established forever. And Isaiah 11 is using this vivid imagery of this forest and this stump to say there's still this promise. Still, God still has this promise for us. And from this one stump that's being cut down will come this mighty king from the line of David. And he's going to come and rule God's people once again. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 begins like this. This is how our New Testament begins. The book of the genealogy, literally the genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The first 17 verses. It's where we're going to begin January 1st in our Bible reading plan. Matthew 1 verses 1 through 17. And Matthew's going to take all this time... To show us how Jesus came from the line of David. Because he wants us to see this is the one. This is the stump when it's all quiet and God's people are looking for this one to come. This is the branch that's going to grow from this stump that's going to come to rule over the people of God. A new king was being born that first Christmas morning. And verses 2 through 5 tells us what kind of king he's going to be. Look at verse 2. You see this unique relationship between this Messiah who's coming and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord, verse 2, shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Spirit. He's going to be anointed by God's Spirit. You remember when Jesus was baptized. And he came up out of the water when John the Baptist baptized him. And the spirit descended like a dove. And God's voice breaks through and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And we see Jesus has this relationship. He's filled with the spirit of God. And you can see this describes this perfect king who has wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He says this one that's going to come out of this stump, this Messiah, is going to be perfect in mind. He's going to be perfect in wisdom and understanding. As you read through the Gospels, I kept hitting this this year where I kept saying the people were astonished by Jesus' teaching. They were amazed that he always had the perfect response. He knew what everyone was thinking. He knew what they were trying to do, what they were planning. He knew exactly how to respond to them. He was perfect in his wisdom and understanding. In verse 3, it says that he's not going to judge by what his eyes see. He sees, he sees into the heart. He knows what's going on behind the scenes with people. He understands their hearts. We tend 
to judge people by how they look. Jesus didn't do that. Uh, last week, we were talking to Elizabeth's dad, Jimmy Mike. I don't know if you've met him. Uh, he's pretty obvious to spot. He has the Hawaiian shirt on every Sunday morning. So that's Elizabeth's dad. And he's been growing out this like massive beard. It's gray. It's kind of getting a little bit of a belly, you know. And uh, you may see where this is going. But he was out at a restaurant, he told us last week. And he was really disturbed by this because he said there was a family of five. And there was three little girls and they were all whispering and talking. And he could kind of tell they were talking about him. And he didn't know what was going on. Maybe it was the Hawaiian shirt. And he said the little girl came up to him and said, are you Santa Claus? And he's kind of concerned about that. He said it was kind of a tricky spot. I've never been asked that before. And so he kind of had to think on his feet. But you, I said, and I didn't want to tell him, but I was like, well, you kind of understand why she's thinking that. You know, like, look at yourself. You kind of look like Santa. You're, you're looking more and more like Santa Claus. It's, I thought, makes perfect sense. The girl's looking at him going, Santa's here, you know. But that's how we, we, tend, to, we tend to judge people by appearance. But this Messiah, this one, this king who's going to rule, he, he had wisdom and understanding. I love reading through the Gospels about Jesus and just seeing his interaction with people. He knew their heart. He knew what was going on. He, was, he had the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He was perfect in his actions. Verse 2, the spirit of counsel and might. He'd be perfect in power, this king. You know, we look at Jesus he cast out demons. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He used his power, though, to heal and to comfort and to bless and to redeem people. He's unlike every other king. He didn't use his power to make himself great, even though he was the king of kings. But he used his power to serve and to bless and to care for others. He had this perfect spirit of counsel and might. It wasn't what they were expecting in their king. They wanted someone to come with a sword and to conquer Rome. But Jesus' power was from the spirit of God. It was filled with, with wisdom and understanding. It was filled with humility. It was filled with righteousness. He was perfect in his power. He was perfect in his love for God. The last section of verse 2, it says that this Messiah would have the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And you look at Jesus' life. He always worshipped and, and loved God and obeyed God perfectly. I love this verse, John 8, 29. Jesus said, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? I always do the things that are pleasing to God. I wish I could say that. I can't say that. I, I, I desire that. I long for that. I want to please God. But this king, this Messiah could say that. Because he was perfect in knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the one Isaiah was talking about. Verse 5 tells us he's going to be a righteous king. This would be a big deal to Israel because their kings are so wicked. You ever think about this? If you do the Bible reading plan, you'll read through the Bible next year and you're going to hit first and second kings and you're going to just go, man, these kings, like they're not role models, okay? You don't want to like read through the Old Testament and try to be like all of these men. Most of them are wicked. All of them 
fell short of the glory of God. They kept having these bad kings. But Isaiah is saying that this one that's going to come, this Messiah, he's going to be righteous. He's, he's going to do always the things that are right. He's not going to have any wickedness inside of him. Verse 4, he's going he's to fight for the meek of the earth. He's going to judge the poor with righteousness. It makes sense when you think about that because Jesus had such a meek beginning, came from a poor family, from a poor town, you know. He, he, he himself was never wealthy. He didn't live in a palace. He didn't have a lot of things. His followers were not wealthy or impressive, yet he is this perfect, righteous king. He's not worshiping possessions or things like the people of Israel were. Just, just perfect in every way. I mean, the rule of Messiah will transform the world. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Listen to this quote by Josh McDowell. I remember reading this as a freshman in college. And it just opened my eyes to how amazing Jesus is. It says, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered the human race in a small Jewish community. He was a member of a poor family, a minority group, and resided in one of the smallest countries in the world. He lived approximately 33 years, of which only the last three comprised his public ministry. Yet people almost everywhere still remember him. The date of our morning newspaper, you don't know what that is, but it was important back then. Or the copyright date of a university textbook bears witness to the fact that Jesus lived one of the greatest lives ever lived. H.G. Wells, the noted historian, was asked which person had left the most permanent impression on history. He replied that if one judged a person's greatness by historical standards, by this test, Jesus stands first. One historian said, as the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. The rule of Messiah will transform this world. And Isaiah tells us, here's what he's going to be like. He's going to be righteous. He's going to have understanding. He's going to love God. He's going to have power. He's going to know exactly what to do. He tells us who he's going to be born of, born of a virgin. And, and Micah tells us he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's why the wise men went searching there, because they knew what the Old Testament said about the Messiah who was to come. This king is going to transform the world. And then in verses 6 through 9 of our text, it tells us what kind of kingdom this king is going to have. And this is kind of an odd picture. If you read this, you may think this is a little weird. What is this talking about? You know, in verse 6, the wolf is going to dwell with the lamb and... The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. What are we talking about here? And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf are going are gonna to hang out together. Just so you know, like a lion and a fattened calf oh, don't usually hang out together for very long because one of them is not going to live for very long in that case. And he's saying all these things are going to live together in harmony. It's kind of an odd picture. It made me remember uh, this post I saw which was talking about all these odd nativity scenes. And there was like 70-something odd nativity scenes this guy had found. And I just have a few of them to show you tonight. A few odd nativity scenes. This one, 
There's a few of these. The first few are just made up of odd characters. I have no idea why you would have a pig nativity scene. There's like frog ones and pig ones and meerkats. It's kind of weird, but a pig nativity scene. This one I found is made completely out of meat. It's a meat nativity scene. So it's very creative and delicious, but I don't know. I'm not sure what that huge sausage on the right is, but it's looking kind of odd. So we have a meat nativity scene. This one is made out of superheroes, a superhero nativity. Uh, Jesus is wearing a uh, Superman shirt, you know, so I guess that's the greatest superhero. I kind of agree with that, but I thought that one was kind of odd. A few of them are just, things are totally out of place. So if you think about this for a minute, it's like, I think we're mixing stories together. This is Santa Claus holding baby Jesus, so... I don't know where this is made, but I think they're light, slightly confused. I thought this one was great. I don't know why. Uh, Joseph and Mary with baby Jesus dri- driving the wise men back home, I guess. I don't know why you would have that. Obviously, it says on the bumper, I think that was made in Mexico. So it's just kind of a fun nativity one. But the, the oddest ones were the ones that had these dark aspects to them. So this one... Those are zombies. It's a zombie nativity scene, which makes no sense to me. This next one is the Day of the Dead nativity scene. Like, why would you mix the Day of the Dead and nativity? I don't know where that's coming from. The next couple are Halloween nativity scenes. And that's Jesus. Go back one there. So go back one. That's Jesus, baby Jesus in a casket. So... Somewhat prophetic, honestly. Maybe this one is like a little right. The next one is Frankenstein nativity. I have no idea why you would have that. And then this one, I just thought whoever made this nativity was having a really bad day. I mean, that is like the angriest nativity scene. Like even, even Jesus is just ticked. You know, like even the donkey is angry. They're just so... Listen, if that's up in your house, that does not represent Christmas, okay? I saw those, and I thought, you know, those are just, what makes them funny is they're odd. Like, why would you have a Frankenstein nativity scene? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think we read verses 6 through 9, and then when we first read it, it can seem a little odd. Like, why, why are these things being put together? It's, it's, it's kind of prophetically meant to startle us a little bit. It's meant to wake us up and grab our attention. What he's saying, what Isaiah is saying is when this king comes, when his kingdom comes, it's going to transform the world. Things that are at odds with each other, natural enemies are going to be at peace with one another. It's a whole new kingdom. It's a whole new world that this Messiah is going to bring. It's going to bring peace. Peace that's never been seen in the world before. Peace to the deepest level of creation. It's going to transform the world. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. It's not just a cute story. It's not just these details, you know, about, oh, this baby was born. It's, it's, it's world transforming. It affects our worldview. It affects what we worship. It affects how we think about God. This new king has come, the Messiah. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been called into this kingdom. You are a new creation. You are a follower of this king that was promised. It's a whole new world. And where all of this is going, when I read verses 6 through 9, it just made me think about Revelation. Because one of the goals of Advent is we're we're putting ourselves in Israel's place. And we're trying to think, what was it like before the Messiah came? What were they looking for? What were they longing for? What were the signs that they were told to look for? What was their longing and anticipation? And for us today, on this side of the cross, we have to be thinking about the next Advent. That's really what Advent's all about. It's not just about trying to look back at the past. It's meant to help us look forward. So we now, we should have that same feeling. We put ourselves in Israel's shoes and we read Isaiah 11. And we're like, man, what it must have been like to look to that Messiah and the virgin birth and born in Bethlehem. And when he came and he did all these miracles. For us today, we should be looking forward with this anticipation of he's coming back. Jesus is going to come. And the New Testament tells us, you know, what to look for when he comes in the kingdom he's going to usher in. This is what Revelation 21 uh, verses 4 through 5 says. This is similar to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. No more death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. During Advent season, because this is the Messiah, this is the King. He's come. We know He came. We we see the signs. We read our Bibles. We know Jesus was the Messiah that was promised. What should be happening in our hearts during Christmas is we should be going, I can't wait for Him to come again. Because there's going to be no more death. No more dying. No more crying. No more pain. No more cancer no more sickness you know no more pandemic uh no more anything wicked or evil you know i just saw the news about the 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 guy driving his car through the parade and killing the people and then the school shooting every time we read that we should just think oh come lord jesus because you are the king and when you come on your second advent when you come back man everything's going to be new None of this is going to be in heaven. None of this is going to happen anymore. It's going to be a permanent peace for all time. It should make our hearts long for the day that the Messiah will come back once again. And I love how Isaiah 11 ends in verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's kind of tricky, that last verse, because it kind of answers that question that we asked at Brenner last time, is water wet? I think this is my biblical answer. As the waters cover the sea. What's the difference between the waters cover the sea? You know, those are both water. But the whole point is the glory of God, the knowledge of the Lord. It's just going to be covering us. And that's what we have in the Messiah. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The rule of Messiah will transform the world. 
And Christmas is a great time to think about worldview. What are you worshiping? What do you love? You know, what do you celebrate? What do you enjoy? What do you long for? What are you anticipating? What do you hope heaven is like? Uh, all those things are part of our worldview. So at Christmas, we get to celebrate that everything God promised came true. Every single thing he said about the Messiah we find in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Hundreds of prophecies over hundreds of years. Dozens of authors. Every single one of them we find coming true in Jesus Christ. Specific details about who he was to be born to. Where he was to be born. What his life was going to be like. What kind of king he was going to be. How he was going to die. Even that the spear would pierce his side. All these details we find in our Old Testaments about the Messiah, every single one of them came true. We celebrate that at Christmas. All of God's promises come true. And then we look ahead at Revelation. We think about him coming back, making all things new. And we realize he fulfills all his promises. If everything that he said would come true came true the first time Jesus came, Pretty sure it's going to happen that way again. Death shall be no more. No more pain, no more crying, no more mourning. He's saying, I'm going to make all things new. So this Christmas, let's, let's celebrate the Messiah who transforms the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for these teens here tonight. And I do pray for their Christmas breaks. Pray for this Christmas season. I pray that you would encourage their faith in you. Pray they would not be captivated by all the things that we get during Christmas. Uh, I pray they would be captivated by you and how amazing you are. So guard our hearts. Help us have a biblical worldview this Christmas season. That we would love others and serve others and share the good news of the gospel for your glory, God. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like I said, uh, just two discussion questions as families. We're going to take uh, about 10 minutes. Then we're going to return to singing. Uh, so mainly, you know, I, I probably, I, you know the Christmas story. I knew the sermon wouldn't be new to you. You're welcome to talk about that. But mainly, weren't you thinking about how the best way to use your time is? Uh, over this break and then also going into next year. So two questions. How would you like to utilize your Christmas break? What books could you study or read to grow to love this king more? So thinking about extra time over the break, what can you do to grow? And then secondly, begin thinking about a Bible reading plan for 2022. Are you going to do the plan with the church? And what are some ways you would like to grow in next year? So 10 minutes, talk about those in your families, and then we'll return to singing a song before we close tonight.